BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. What's up, H-Town? Welcome to the Believe in Astros podcast, your home for all things Astros, with your hosts, sports writer Jeff Balky and Astros broadcaster and former third baseman Jeff Blob. Now, here's Balky and Blubber. What is up, Astros fans? Welcome to episode 84 of the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm back. Uh, I'm Jeff Bulky, back from vacation uh, alongside my partner, Jeff Blum. We got a day off yesterday and now hanging out in lovely Balmer, as I like to call Baltimore, series with the Orioles. Um, when was the last time we said the Orioles were competitive? But they're I don't good. Know. Dusty wants to know, too. He made a comment at the White House to kind of set everybody off. We were like, man, that was pretty bold. But yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, well, also, their announcer mentioned it and it uh, didn't work out so well for him. We'll discuss that, too. What a fu- Oh, my god! Yeah, I know, yeah. dude. We're, we're going to talk about that. That's that's coming. Uh, Blummer, uh, anything happened while I was gone? <laughs> yeah. First of all, congrats on having a vacation. Thanks, uh, I don't I know what that is yet. I got to wait till uh, maybe after October to figure out what a vacation is. But right. uh, I'm proud of you for getting out there and enjoying the great outdoors. Um, but uh, yeah, my, my off day was not a legitimate off day, but it was pretty exciting because we got to go visit the White House. And it was an absolutely incredible experience. Uh, no matter your pol- political view, it was an amazing experience. And the Biden administration took very good care of us. It was a blast. Yeah, that that seems amazing. I'm going to ask you about that here in a second. Um, uh, because it was just like, it was a crazy, obviously, it was a crazy week while I was gone. I'm wearing my Yellowstone hat, which I picked up mm-hmm. while I was there. Irony is I was at Yellowstone with literally zero reception. I mean, I, my phone and said... And a trade deadline coming. <laughs> yeah, my phone said 3G. I didn't even think that was a thing, Right. Um, Dude, did you anymore. have to use a flip phone? <laughs> Basically, yeah. There was an actual regular line, like hardwired telephone in my hotel room, which was wow, which made me, which was disturbing. There was zero reception. I didn't even hear about the Verlander trade until one of the guys at Houston Public Media, how I uh, do Mondays, uh, do sports with them. A text of his just randomly got through and said, "Hey, do you want to come on and talk about Verlander?" I'm like, "What about Verlander?" <laughs> so that's that's how I actually found out. So it was a it was a fun week. I did not get gored by a bison, nor did I get eaten by a grizzly bear. I did see both of those things. Um, nice a grizzly bear at a at a fortunately at a very good distance, not anywhere near me. Um, and bison, though, let me tell you something. Those are large animals. Yeah. And when they walk by your vehicle, you don't really feel safe. I'm just yeah. saying. Now, let's go back like a couple of hundred years and and, mm. and imagine coming over a ridge and going, hmm, yeah. that looks look, looks interesting. I'm going to go and the other not, way. And they're not slow. They may look <laughs> slow. They are not slow. I, this one walked right in front of my car. And I guess I got a little too close to him. I wasn't that close. He literally turned and side-eyed me. And I thought, you oh, know. Damn. I'm not going to go. I'm just going to go backwards now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was, but it was a, a fun experience out in the, uh, and by the way, 
70 degree weather, which yes. was, I mean, coming back to this, uh, somebody referred to this as uh, Satan's butthole the other day, and I can't necessarily disagree with them because it is hot down here. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube. You can give us a follow on X, I guess, uh, and also on Instagram. <laughs> um, you can find uh, at Believe in Astros. You can find me at Jeff Balky Blummer at Blummer27. Um, it, thanks for everyone who's given us five stars uh, and and sent us questions and, and all of that. I really, we really do appreciate it. Like, was Fromber's no hitter the closest thing to a perfect game we've seen? I mean, yeah, face the minimum. That are you Darvish's well, back in 2013 or 14? Right. I mean, just just kind of an amazing thing. Let's let's just jump right in and start talking and talk right about the trade deadline. Um, I think we forgot that Kendall Graverman was actually yeah. uh, was actually traded for Corey Lee. I think that's probably going to be really helpful to their bullpen. But obviously, the big deal: Justin Verlander for Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, a pair of their young, fast-tracked outfielders. Um, adding Justin Verlander and, and also Jose Arquiti returning from injury uh, this weekend. I mean, that's got to do nothing but good things for the rotation. I mean, Verlander walks right back in, steps right <laughs> back in where where he's always been. And the irony is kind of the same in that he pitched amazing and he got no run support. So it's kind of a weird uh, sort of symmetry to that. But, I mean, adding him back, it's just – I don't think you can underestimate the the um, the importance of something like that. Yeah, he's he's been amazing, and he is the modern day Nolan Ryan. If you go back and look at Nolan Ryan in those mid eight, mid yes. to early eighties teams with the Houston Astros, where he has a one point seven ERA and has more <laughs> losses than wins, you know, it, it just isn't fair sometimes. And part of the reason Justin came back here is because he wants to rack up wins. He wants to get as close to three hundred as he possibly can. And you're, you're going to need some guys to score some runs because you give up three runs, usually you should win a game. But uh, he came back in a pretty dramatic fashion at Yankee Stadium of all places. And we kind of got to see what has made Justin good over the years is that there was a hiccup. He couldn't find the strike zone, yeah. didn't lose his poise, found it, continued on, got himself a quality start, but just didn't qualify for the victory. But everybody at the time that you missed out on was freaking out because you gave up Ryan Clifford. We know we love Drew Gilbert. We wanted to see what he could do in the show. But at the same time, Clifford was that key piece. And from everything I've heard, there was not going to be a trade done of any with anybody of caliber that wasn't going to involve Ryan Clifford. Right. The upside is we don't know what Clifford is going to be mm -hmm. as a big leaguer until he gets there. And Justin's going to be here for another year, if not one more. Mm -hmm. I, you know, look, I, I was I wanted to see Drew Gilbert uh, in an Astros uniform. I thought he was going to be exciting and fun. But yep. the fact of the matter is, is the, the Astros are overloaded with outfielders. Um, in the minor leagues, it's part of what Dana Brown's strategy was. Um, you, what we can tell is Jacob Melton, who's another one of those young rising outfielders, is very, very good um, as well. And you still have guys like Pedro Leone at Sugarland, who has really kind of started to turn his season around after kind of struggling a bit. The Astros have a lot of those guys. That's what allows them to make a deal like this. And um, and honestly. If, if Justin Verlander helps them get deep into the postseason, perhaps two and winning another World Series, then nobody's going to care, you know. Mm -hmm. And and uh, my colleague at the Houston Press, Sean Pendergast, has a has a uh, 
story he's working on about how really the trades with the Astros, it shows that these draft picks are kind of a crapshoot. You know, you look back yep. at previous trades, you don't know what's going to happen with some of these guys. Some of these guys turn out to be great. Sometimes they don't. Um, and so it's just, it's the price you pay. I saw somebody on Twitter, I kind of, I, I reconstituted it for myself in that if you're going to get a major, you know, rotation guy or somebody like Justin Verlander, you have to give up something that hurts. That's just the way it works. You're not getting anything for free. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. that's that's not how it works. And and look, JB just went straight legend mode when he got here. First of all, referring to the Rangers as Dallas and then showing up <laughs> to the White House in a gold suit. I mean, just right into it. Like, no problem. He just so no, fits. That's, that's what he does. Yeah. He, no, it's he outstanding. Just he just completely fits this team. That's the thing. Um, yeah. Even after half and, a season away. I just want to build off one point you said about mm-hmm. some of these guys, these draft picks are crapshoots. Mm-hmm. If you go back and look at some of the previous trades, I know there's guys with Detroit that, uh, you know, when we first got Justin Verlander, some of those guys are getting released out of those organizations, not even sniffing the big leagues. Yeah. Same with the Arizona Diamondbacks. There's There was a key piece in that Granky trade yes. who just got designated. So, it, it's a gamble, like you're saying. And you just, you really need to reaffirm that. And I think that there's a lot of, maybe not a lot these days, but there are particular groups of owners and GMs around the league that will say, give me proven big league talent as opposed to young possible talent. I agree with you completely on that. And and I, I think it's also a, the difference between what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, when you look mm-hmm. at the Astros, they're a winning team right now. Their window is completely wide open. They just won a World Series last year. They're certainly in the mix to compete for one again this year. And, and I think Dana Brown, you know, said it right. Both, you know, both Graverman and uh, Verlander, they're both locked up after this year, too. Yeah. So you can assume that that's going to help them in dealing with free agency as well. Um, and the closer we get to the bigger names hitting the market, like Alex Bregman and, you know, and uh, some of these other big names, and Framber Valdez, the more you're going to need uh, this type of thing to build not only from within, but also to have guys that are going to be here to help you stay stabilized. Just yeah. part of the and deal. Isn't it interesting? Isn't uh, just a little food for thought, maybe stirred up a little bit. Isn't it interesting that you trade away two outfield prospects, yet Kyle Tucker is still here? <laughs> hmm. Maybe that I, foretells the future of what they might try and do with Kyle? Well, I think you make a really strong point because, look, Drew Gilbert – they said it very, very, very bluntly that Drew Gilbert projects as a right fielder, and we mm-hmm. have a pretty good right fielder right now. I mean, listen, that does that to me, for that statement from Dana Brown, that's about as direct as you get, you yeah. know. Um, and the Astros, look, they've made it clear they want to bring Kyle Tucker back. How much they're yeah. going to spend on it is going to be another is going to be another story, and then obviously we have Framber Valdez get wins AL Player of the Week. He goes out and just destroys. I mean, it's Cleveland, you know, but but and the still, timing of it it was ridiculous. I mean, just the day of. I mean, you couldn't have a better like Astros oh. day than that one. Um, what did you see from him? I mean, Frommer struggled. He scuffled a little bit, like the last few games. Mm-hmm. And and Grant, again, it is Cleveland. But nevertheless, he really was in command. That whole game, I actually saved it. When I got back, I watched it again. 
after watching the highlights, he was in command. There was no threat whatsoever, like a million, another million ground ball outs, but just really impressive by him, no matter who the team he's playing. Yeah, it's been it's been impressive to watch, and it's good to see him have that bounce. You wanted him just to have a bounce back uh, performance, just go out there and win the game, give another yeah. uh, quality start, and I think we all would have been happy. But it was just the perfect storm because he needed to have that bounce back opportunity. He's facing a team that's not good on left handed pitching. He's facing a team that is terrible on spin, yeah. and he found that in that moment his curveball came back to him, and that's what kind of turned me on a little bit early on. And not to mention the Guardians had traded away half their team with Savali. Yeah, Josh Bell, you know, they had three different lineups that day because guys were hurt. They're mm-hmm. leaving, uh, you know, it was packing up. So there was chaos in that Guardians dugout. And Fromberg, you know, took full advantage of that. But the thing that jumped out to me was the first inning you go, okay, he showed good command like you're talking about, uh, was hitting his spots. But then that snap on that curveball came back and you're kind of going, huh, that looked pretty good. Came out the second inning, struck out two more guys in that mm-hmm. second inning. And I looked at TK, and I didn't say it was going to be, you know, this is his day. I said, the curveball's back. And I mm-hmm. looked at the uh, RPMs on Baseball Savant, and it showed a little bit of an uptick in the spin. And I was like, okay. It wasn't anything astronomical where you were like, oh, my right. gosh, there's something going on. It was just right back to normal and just a tinge above what he normally does. And he went to it, and he went to it, and it was the swing and miss, and it was perfectly located. And uh, uh, he proceeded to go out there and throw that no-hitter. And it was absolutely incredible, except for one pitch <laughs> to, I believe, Oscar Oscar Hernandez mm-hmm. on a 3-2 count. And I mean, I oh, he was that close. I know. Was that cl- and then they get a double play and he faces Still the face minimum. minimum. Yeah. Unreal. Like, and I, you're, you know, it, you, you, meant you like nailed something. And I heard you mention that in the broadcast. I thought it too. That curveball just looked wicked. I mean, it was wicked. It was just breaking, like it was just dropping mm-hmm. off the the table. And uh, I, obviously, that's a good sign uh, yeah. if you're the Astros. I mean, look if you have a, a if you have a righty and a lefty aces um, yeah. in there. I mean, it's just it just makes it that it's when you get to the postseason. We've seen what they can do. In the postseason, well, I love that. You know. Yeah, from on on JV day. We, oh, we got J- Justin Verlander. Fromer went. Hey, still here. Yeah, I'm pretty good. And yeah. like you said, when you go like, in, you've got two aces now. I kind of wonder if that wasn't at least. I mean, look, he is looking. I hope it was. I think that's we, great. We know that that that, that Fromer has a very fully mature, developed ego to him in a good yeah. way, not in a bad way. So great. yeah, I think that was good for him. You know, good for mm-hmm. and frankly, good for the Astros. You know, competition yes. is a good thing. We'll take it. You mentioned visiting the White House yesterday. I should I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Houston press photographer Jackson Gorman was actually there. Uh, oh, nice. He decided he got credentials, went on his own dime because he really oh, wow. wanted to experience it, which Come was on. great. I know, right? Good for him. And, and uh, the slideshow is up at HoustonPress.com. It's pretty amazing. Um, so you have you made this visit to the White House before? Or is this this wasn't your no. first time, right? You've never <clears throat> no, done this it is, before, this really? is my first time. Every I got that question from everybody because obviously 05, uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, still rings in the ears of Astro fans. Right. And uh, the assumption was that I was going to go with the Chicago White Sox, you know, right. and 
I, I did not because in 2006, I signed back with the San Diego Padres. Right. So I, was, I wasn't available to leave my current team to go party at the White House with my <laughs> former team. Right. And then in 2000, after the 2017 season, the Astros left from spring training to go to uh, visit the White House. And uh, obviously, I was back in Houston. I wasn't in spring training. So this was my first opportunity. And uh, it, it went absolutely incredible. It was, a, it was a little bit of a long day, but it was, it was worth every minute of it. That is super cool. Uh, it's a, that's an experience. I mean, just visiting. Listen, I'm not like a hyper flag waving, you know, uh, person at all. But Washington D.C. is awe inspiring. It is one like yes. the last time I one went, of the greatest visits I've ever had. I mean, family trips was when I took my kids to D.C. when they were about ten. Yeah, awesome. I, I mean, last time I was there, my I have I have family that lives there. Actually, we're gonna my wife and I are gonna be there visiting her aunt in November. Um, I I love the city. My cousin Tom lives there and is a great guy. Um, and he used to be a docent at the Smithsonian. So riding around in him with him Ooh. in his car is like hanging out with a historian. So like he just mm-hmm. tells you everything there is to know about it. And the last time I went, I went to the Hall of Records so I could see the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and and all that stuff. And then I went to the Smithsonian uh, for like the third time, you know, because you can only see part of it each time. It's so huge. <laughs> um, I'll tell I'm not going to lie. I, I was awestricken, especially the um, – walk through that and see the Constitution Declaration of Independence. It's something every American really should do, regardless of your politics, regardless of your feelings oh, man, uh, on yeah. the whole. It's so just an, it's just an incredibly, uh, you know, uh, awesome experience and really one to and to be able to go to the White House and experience that. That must have been just incredible. It was, you know, that was the one thing that I did not, you know, with all the tours and like everything that we did when I came with my family. Mm hmm. You know, what about uh, 10 years ago? Uh, obviously, things change a lot, but going through there and just witnessing the history and understanding how this place was established and all the monuments and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the struggles and the pain and the the scars that developed here and, and witnessing that and trying to wrap your head around it and understand it a little bit more is absolutely incredible. Obviously, like like franchises and family, there's going to be highlights and lowlights, but you got you got to read them all to understand how you get to this point. But uh, we'd never had a chance to get to the White House and uh, going through that whole experience was incredible. The one thing that kind of surprised me, and I don't know if they if, you know, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist and I'm not like (laughs) some CIA operative or anything like that. But (laughs) I was amazed at how easy it was to get in. You know, all I had to do was show my show my driver's license and go through like a TSA, you know, X-ray machine. I'm like, man, there's got to be more to this. But I imagine that, you know, I'm sure if they've got a full body scan of me oh, hanging yeah. in the security <laughs> lounge now or something. But it, it, it was re, it was easy, and uh, it was kind of funny to realize that at every turn or every corner of that. White House, there was somebody with a military uniform standing there. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. There, it is no joke. And sir, I've that never operation been, is incredible. I've never been to the White House, but I'm telling you, the the just around D.C. and different places, the ninja-like level yeah. of security is remarkable. Like you, mm-hmm. that's that's one thing you don't really see. And uh, but that's the point. You're not really supposed to see it. You know, oh. you're, they're all supposed to blend. It's yeah, it's impressive. You don't want to mess around in a place like that. That's like no, just just don't. It's just not save yourself. 
<laughs> yeah. Be, be careful. That Enjoy is Enjoy the cool. experience, but be careful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, that's cool that you got to experience that. That's awesome. So we got Jose Urquidy back. He only went three and a third, piggybacked with JP France. I mean, it's going to take him a little bit of time to stretch out, I think. But adding him to the lineup in Verlander is such a big deal, especially if your yeah. can eat some innings. Because that's one of the things that he really does is he's an innings eater. Um, yeah, it's got to help, right? And we're gonna and we'll and also JP France. Look, arguably has been their most consistent pitcher for like two months now. Um, so you can't just omit him from the from the rotation. It's a, it's makes for an interesting decision making process for Dusty and Dana Brown. Oh man, are you kidding me? Yeah, I think it makes it very interesting. And I mean, they did respect Jose Urquidy as far as the veteran coming back into the rotation and gave, didn't give him JP's spot, but he definitely moved in front of JP and moved mm-hmm. JP into the bullpen. But to JP's credit, kind of understood the situation, took it, went to the bullpen, got ready, came in, pitched a great game again, uh, throwing what three and a third shutout, I think he did. And uh, Urquidy kind of. He looked great for the first three innings, but kind of struggled to find his command yeah. a little bit later in the game. Maybe fatigue setting in, and again, yeah. throwing pitches in the minor league minor leagues is a little bit different for a big leaguer. So the intensity, the leverage, you know, that fatigue will set set in a little bit quicker. Yeah. Uh, but Urquidy looked good when he was in there hitting the strike zone. His slider actually looked a little bit better to me. So I'm kind of curious to see how that slider move, looks moving forward. Yeah, that sweep, um, but that big sweeper, right? Isn't yeah. that what they, whatever they call it now? But that was yeah. that was a good looking uh, pitch. I agree. Yeah. And Booney put a bunch of right-handers in there because he knows that uh, Urquidy struggles against right-handers. But Urquidy, to his credit, really did a good job of driving the fastball to the inside corner to set up that slider that sweeps across the zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, with you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they set up this rotation because you need to protect Hunter Brown, you need to protect JP France. Yes, you've obviously got to get Urquidy going again. But at the same time, you can kind of <clears throat> massage this rotation down the stretch with some of these days off to either go a six-man rotation, skip a guy if you need to, and kind of work it that way to make sure that these guys are healthy through August, through September, and obviously we hope they're healthy in October because then you'll have some interesting choices to make. Well, I wrote about it uh, in a story I wrote for the press today, um, just talking about how you know, Christian Javier is approaching his the most innings he's ever pitched. JP yeah, Francis, yeah, him too. Good point. <clears throat> JP France is approaching his. Hunter Brown has already exceeded his. Um, so these guys have already hit their career marks or are close to hitting their career marks in innings pitched. Being able to, like you said, to skip a guy occasionally, go to a six man rotation so they don't have to pitch every five days. Um, <clears throat> that's going to be helpful for them as we go down the stretch, I would hope. By the way, did you see Boone go crazy yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, man. Dude. Points for drama. Like, let's give him an Academy Award. I mean, the the when he when he showed the when he demonstrated the the strikeout. I mean, that he did was it just perfectly to Laz Diaz's. So oh. priceless. It was so priceless. And Diaz was just like, go. Go and he just was—he was, was going to get his money's worth. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was—that was impressive. 
Yeah. No, Laz Diaz is one of the better ones that you can actually talk to, and he's going to have good days, bad days, just like yeah. all of us. But at the same time, I think at the end of the game, he missed 21 calls. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of reinforces Booney's uh, dramatics, but Booney mm -hmm. did out there, went out there and did a phenomenal job. That's and so I think good. that, you know, it might have been an explosion of emotion considering his team was losing. Mm -hmm. They're in a tough spot. They didn't do anything at the trade deadline. Right. Judge is hurt. They're going to end the season without a guy with 75 or more RBIs, which is remarkable to me. And he's kind of scuffling through the situation, but he lost it I mean, in, uh, in glorious fashion. Oh, you know, that's almost, I would imagine that's every manager's dream is to go out there and do that. But to, totally. Laz, Diaz's, to, to Laz Diaz's credit, I'm surprised Aaron Boone or Dusty Baker didn't lose it in the Yankee Astro game with Angel Hernandez behind the plate who oh. missed 23 calls. Oh, man. I mean, Angel Hernandez. Woo. That guy, what is he? Does he have like compromising photos of the commissioner? Like, what is I don't he? Know. I mean, I know that there he like sued the league. I know that's already oh, happened. Twice, I think. And it's like, that guy is horrible. I mean, horrible. He is just awful. But yeah, the, the Boone thing was to me was great. It was just so such fun theater, you know, and yeah, then almost, almost, almost as good as the fight the other day, which I don't think I've ever seen a guy like <laughs> I don't ever think I've seen a guy go down Damn. the way that what's his name went down. I mean, he took a shot. Elvis Andrews would argue with you about that. Oh, well. Fair enough. He's witnessed the two greatest knockouts in baseball history. <laughs> That's true. But just like his his arms went dead at his side, and he just oh, like this. That was woo. yeah. At least and, like you know Jose Batista when Rugnet Odor smoked smoked him, he kind of right. like spun him around, but he didn't go down. No. Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson. Just, and the call by uh, Tom Hamilton. Oh, amazing. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about like, the dramatics of Boone and goes then the marriage. Anderson. Oh down my goes gosh. Anderson. It was just spectacular that was a second only to when um kevin harlan called that uh the the streaker running on the football <laughs> field when he was going he's at the 10 he's at the five he's like you know that that's all second only to that is it really he's like that was um, amazing it was fantastic that was just if you if you haven't seen it go online there's they oh. they have the the audio of it synced up to the, oh it's there's so, so many great things in that video I mean it sounds terrible saying that about a fight because you <laughs> right. don't encourage that no but at the same time the umpire that tried to get in the middle and then all of a sudden he was like their hands are up and he's like I'm out I'm out exactly he he, he ran out of the way and then all of a sudden just, just this hand you know haymaker comes I've never boom. seen anybody square up though that was the funny part they're yeah. like all right let's go and they look like they're just like what are y'all doing you're on a baseball yeah. diamond in the middle of a game and Anderson all of a sudden I was way. in the middle of little Woodrow's at like 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> exactly and the funny thing is Anderson not only did he get the worst of it on the field but he got the worst of it in the suspension department too I know. He made, well because he was making the hard tags that sort of caused that in the first place mm -hmm. but well, <laughs> if you watch that replay well enough everybody's like why did J Ram get up he smoked him in the head yeah, he did I you know, I looked tag at before yeah somebody posted that in slow motion to show that tag and they posted a I'm couple glad they of did others. yeah they yeah they showed a couple others he's like whacking the crap out of people in the head with his glove mm -hmm. that can't feel good and so yeah that guy wasn't having any more of it and the wor the worst part for anderson uh, to add insult upon injury upon injury was the the swing wasn't he, it was just a flail he wasn't even really <laughs> trying to hit him in the face he was just swinging like this just takes a yeah. swing and just oof
That is no bueno. I would not want to be that. I would not want to have taken that one on the chin. That did not look like it felt very good. No. <laughs> and so, then did you see the did you see the post fight when he was stumbling off the field like his yes. teammates were trying to carry him? Oh, that was that didn't feel good at all. I felt terrible about that. I mean, you know what he want you know don't want anybody getting hit in the face for any real good reason. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, other than, you know, it was bad, but it was fun to watch. I mean, you know, and, yeah. and unfortunately, no one was seriously hurt. We'd the White Sox that. season has been a disaster. Especially Anderson. Anderson, I just, there was yeah. a story about him just the other day. I was listening mm-hmm. uh, while I was up there in the mountains. I did have satellite radio. So I was listening to uh, one of the MLB guys, and they were talking about whether Anderson was going to be traded or not. And uh, they talked about how his season has just been awful. Um, that he, you know, it just, they, they went, ran it down. It was really ironic that I was listening to it mm. considering the fight that would happen. He's yeah. just had a brutal season and, and a really, you know, great player, but just, oh, you know, just hyper talented has man. not, has not been good this year. So I think that I want to talk a little bit about Graverman's spot in this bullpen. You know, the bullpen has been kind of all over the place. Uh, Phil Maton and Ryan Presley lights out early in the year. Now I've really struggled. I mean, Maton over like his last, I think 12 appearances has like a six plus ERA or something crazy like that. Presley right. didn't even get the call to close the other day. He's sort of, you know, obviously he's struggling a little bit on the flip side. Rafael Montero suddenly looks good again. And Brian Abreu looks good again, God. having bounced back. So I got a great, great Brian Abreu story, by the way, oh, when we're done talking about this. Yeah. So great. Uh, it's quick. I, I can't wait to hear that. So Graverman, though, he I feel like he kind of like helps to come in and just sort of give these guys a break. You know, just like Graverman's mm-hmm. he's closed some ball games before, so they have the ability to use him for that. You don't have to put Stanek out there all the time who's been struggling all season long. I mean, he's I think it's kind of an underrated move by the Astros to get that to mm-hmm. really help sort of shore up what's been a really great bullpen all year long. Yeah, and one of the things about these two trades the Astros made is they brought back guys who are who have been in this clubhouse, and I think that's fascinating because it really is that doesn't you're happen. always worried, right? You're always worried about chemistry, and you're you brought back two guys that worked in this clubhouse and won in this clubhouse. So I think that's one of those underrated kind of moves because you look at the stats and you're like Gra- Graveman's good, Verlander's good. Okay, we upgraded, you know. And I think you know what you said about giving that bullpen a break is exactly what happened because I think the day he showed up, you almost heard this collective sigh in that bullpen where they all went, "Whew, we got another one. Okay, we're good." <laughs> you know, right. because up to this point, Montero and Stanek haven't been who they were in the past, and it's put that much more pressure on Maton, Neris, Abreu, Presley. Those guys have been the four horsemen out in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, Abreu, you know, he had a little <laughs> bit of a dip, but he bounced back, and that dude is throwing 101 miles an hour, sliders off the table. Wow. Uh, Presley was sore, didn't didn't appear in that Yankee series for whatever reason, but mm-hmm. Abreu threw an inning and a third to sh- uh, save yeah. that game, which was beautiful. Uh, Neris has been f- absolutely lights out, even though he has base runners on every single time he's he in the game, which is crazy. <laughs> His command is nuts right now, but yeah, he gets out of everything. It's wild. I don't it's know how awesome. he does it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting there. You know, I've got a death grip on my headset going, come on, man. And he still gets through it. So. It's been good, but Graveman's going to be good because I think of what you know. What you said is 
uh, when he was with the White Sox, he was saving games when Liam Hendricks was out. Right. So he has some of that late inning experience. And then he also has the versatility. And I think this is where I'm kind of curious because Maton's been getting beat around and Maton is just seems to be automatic. He's the first guy out of the bullpen, no matter what the score is, where the right. runners are at. Dusty's like, Maton. And he right. comes out and he either has a good outing, bad outing. But I think it'll give him a little relief because Graveman is a—he's so versatile, and he—and he has the personality of just give me the baseball, I'll go out there and give it my best shot. And when he's able to command the zone like most pitchers, he is wipeout because his wipeout yeah. sinker at ninety-six miles an hour. Now the only thing that kind of stuck out to me was his ground ball rate had gone down yes, a little bit. It has, but he did get a big ground ball double play. <clears throat> excuse me, last time he was out against the Yankees, so I think it's still in there, and I think that Josh Miller can actually get that sinker back to getting the ground ball and he'll be a huge piece to uh, getting Graveman back but Graveman can pitch anywhere from the 6th to the ninth, and right. that's what I think is great about him and that's it does give that bullpen that little sigh of relief yeah Graveman um, that's the thing that I keep thinking too is every time a pitcher shows up here suddenly they become much better <laughs> yeah we kind of forget it, that don't we they just always do and I think you're right I think you know Graveman's traditionally been more of a kind of an even pitcher in terms of ground balls fly balls he's not a guy that's been a you know just a given up lots of fly balls he's kind of been pretty much even across the board with that he's got that sink like you mentioned, which tends to induce the ground ball. I think you're right. I think I, I read something about him uh, at the trade where they were saying that, you know, he's when he misses, he's been missing up. Um, and so you kind of think mm-hmm. he gets in here with that Astros pitching staff and they're going to be like, OK, if you're going to miss, let's miss down, miss in the dirt. Yeah. If you're going to miss, you know, so for him. So, yeah. So let's hear this. Brian Abreu. I love good stories. Oh, man. So, I, I you know, I take a lot of pride in you know, and still trying to be in some kind of shape or at least look like I'm trying to stay in shape. Um, I still get in the gym. Obviously I can't run like I used to. I don't swing a bat anymore. So a lot of the movements I have are very push pull, you know, just strike, Mm -hmm. you know, just, uh, just so I feel like I'm in, I'm healthy and I'm six foot four, 240 pounds. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit bigger than most, most people. And, uh, we were on the, the team flight coming to Baltimore and it, you know, the, the way the the seating rearrangement had uh, had guys in the front. You know, media was in the back, so I went back to go talk to uh, Steve Sparks and uh, Matt Bolts, the radio engineer, and we're just kind of you know chopping it up. And I had my back turned to the aisle, and I went to go turn to go back to my seat. So I go to turn to my right, and all of a sudden I hit something that felt like a wall, and I stopped. Now, not much stops me on the team flight because I'm larger and I have a tendency to not know the the, the, the size of my body. My wife says I'm a bull in a china shop everywhere I go. So I turn around and I'm like, bam. I'm like, what the fuck? I turn around and I'm like, dear God, Brian Abreu is a massive human being. <laughs> I don't know if it translates on TV, but his shoulders are so freaking wide. And his, I mean, he is just, he is stout. He's built. And I mean, he stopped me like that. And I was like, I'm sorry, Mr. Abreu, you can go by. <laughs> and I was very polite about the whole situation. I was like, man, I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> You can go. I'll wait for you. Yeah, he oh stood my. me up, man. It was awesome, and I, that's what I, I've always had an appreciation for him. 
in a size, but when you actually hit it and you and you stop, you're like, damn, okay. <laughs> wow, Blummer. Yeah, well, look, that's a when you when you run into somebody that's large, larger than you. I'm not exactly a small dude. Yeah, um, no. And I, you know, I'm six one. And, and when I, and, and so I'm taller than a lot of guys, but when you hit somebody that's built like that and I've, it's happened to me like at the gym I'll, or playing basketball, you run mm-hmm. into somebody, like I ran into a guy playing basketball and he didn't move. And I just went backwards. <laughs> I was like, I'm running full speed. And this guy just stood there <laughs> I'm like, holy crap. And it, it's, it's always reminds me of that story that, uh, um, Tiki Barber told about what it's like to what it's like to be hit by a linebacker when you're running full speed as a, as a running back. And he said, imagine taking off all your pads and just running full speed into a brick wall. And I remember I'll never forget that and thinking, Oh, good Lord. So you got your brick wall. Yeah. (laughs) Brian Brady was that guy. And he's all of six foot four also, but he is just, but obviously he's in much better shape. He's a tad uh, younger than we are, Blummer also. Yeah. But he was just, I mean, it, it stunned me. I was like, dang. All right. And I'm like, Mr. Brady, you can go. (laughs) That, that um, is better at least than the guy I sat next to coming home who uh, uh, took off his shoes and socks. um, Dude. Smelled a little weird. And, What's wrong uh, with people on planes these days, man? And Clean proceeded it up. to and proceeded also to scratch his crotch for numerous, yeah. numerous times. And I'm like, Puke bro, emoji. bro, like let's not, uh, bro. Um, all right, we did learn yesterday that one that one of my favorites, Corey Jolks, is going back to AAA. He's Damn, been struggling a bit lately, but to bring up. <laughs> John Singleton. Now, what I want to talk about. Who you, knew? I realized that way back, I mean, I don't know how many months ago, we cracked a joke about John Singleton on here. Mm-hmm. I haven't found it yet. I, I need to go back and dig through, see if I can find it. But then we made a little crack about how, you know, great at the minor leagues, never good at the major league level. Now, to his credit, he is really, uh, he has been insane in Sugarland. I mean, just yeah. nuts. It's like 33 games. He's like at 12 home runs. He's just been all over the place. The question is, bringing him up brings up a couple of questions. Like, first of all, is he going to be able to play at this level, um, especially not getting consistent at bats, which he certainly would at AAA? But then the other thing is, how's it going to affect a guy like Yiner Diaz? I mean, the only positions that he plays – our first base in DH. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to figure if they're going to play him, it's going to eat into Yiner's time, especially because they definitely want another mm-hmm. left-handed bat in the lineup. And obviously mm-hmm. the, the, the uh, pitcher whisperer, Mal- Martin Maldonado is not, they're not going to be splitting time with him. Nope. Um, so I, I'm just wondering how this is all going to work out lineup wise. I mean, this is right time of year to try it. Um, but mm-hmm. do we have faith that John Singleton's going to come up here and provide some power from the left side. What do we think? Um, first of all, what you said about uh, Yiner splitting time at behind the plate, forget it. I'm with you. Just yeah. go ahead and wash that from your from your brain. Don't even argue it. Yep. Don't even think about it. Waste your time on it. Martin Maldonado is going to catch games. Yep. So you're going to have to pick your spots with Yiner, who who catches Hunter Brown extremely well. Maybe he works in with an Urquidy. I'm not sure. But just go ahead and mail in the fact that Maldonado is a catcher. 
And now you've got, like you said, DH or first base. There might have been an opportunity to try and massage him into first base a little more frequently with Obreu struggling because currently, yeah. uh, according to Chandler Rome's tweets, he has more extra base hits than Jose Obreu. So yeah. he increases your, uh, if you want to get analytic, win probability by having right. his offense in there. And, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice <clears throat> defensively for more offense? What are you willing to sacrifice offensively for more defense? You know, right. those are the questions that managers ask themselves. Then you get to the John Singleton factor. First of all, I'm frustrated for Corey Jolks. I hate when guys get sent down after struggling because it's such a, I mean, such a kick to the groin because you're already struggling. And then they're like, well, we don't, we can't use you anymore because you're not playing well. And they always give the, hey, go down and figure it out. Whatever. Agreed. Uh, it's it's hard just because I love Corey. Me too. So John John Singleton's coming. He earned the right to come come up here in those thirty games that you're talking about. I believe he had over a thousand OPS. I looked at the strikeout to walk ratios. It's om- it's not it's not awful. He takes mm-hmm. his walks. He doesn't. His strikeouts aren't as egregious as you think they would be for a power guy. Mm-hmm. He had a three year hiatus trying to figure it out and fight back into the game, and here he gets his opportunity again. Granted, he had a chance with the Milwaukee Brewers. It was brief, but he didn't let it phase him. Came over to the Astros, started raking again, and here it is the opportunity. What if this becomes a platoon at first base? Is that an idea? I'm not sure. But there's going to be a point where you have to figure out if John Singleton can produce at the big league level because he's done enough at the AAA level. Is he the guy that's stuck in purgatory and plays quadruple-A? I don't know. But the way you figure it out is you let him play a little bit here early on and see if he can do some damage. And the other thing is, who's the threat off the bench for the Astros? Yes, if it's Yonder Diaz on the bench, he's the threat. But other than that, who who have you got? And I think Singleton provides Dusty Baker a left-handed threat off the bench. Yeah, that's a good point. And, of course, Dubon has not been playing very well lately. He's kind of... Fallen back down to earth a little bit. The thing that's interesting to me about this, and you've talked about this on here before, is the consistent at-bats. When guys Mm -hmm. don't get consistent at-bats, like Yiner Diaz, if he doesn't get consistent at-bats, is that going to cause him to struggle? Um, I personally don't think so. I think Yiner is the kind of guy that um, he'll just come in there and he he seems to play well, whether he's catching, playing first base, or DHing. It doesn't really seem to matter. Pinch it, um, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, obviously, <laughs> it has some impact on Dubon, apparently. It was definitely having some impact on Corey Jolks, the lack of consistency. Yeah, man. Um, which just sucks because I I really, really like Corey Jolks a lot. Um, I'm going to be very curious. I mean, I know fans were calling for John Singleton, but, you know, fans, this has been a weird year for fans, too. There's been a lot of, like, do this, do that, do this, manipulate this, manipulate that. The Astros end up kind of in the same place. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of – there's a you know, it's funny. I understand impatience in sports like football where there's only, you know, 17 games or whatever in a season. I, ne- I don't really get the impatience in baseball. Um, no. There's it, It's too long of a season. There are too many twists and turns. You know, I get it when – if somebody's losing you games – you know, if every time you go in there, a guy's giving up multiple runs from the bullpen or something like that. But for the most part, in baseball, you just kind of ride it and see how it goes, mm-hmm. especially with a team that's full of uh, veterans like this. I will say, good news, Jordan and Jose, Al- and Jose Altuve are just <laughs> on tears. Like if anybody yep. was worrying about, oh, it's going to take them a little while to get 
you know, back to normal. Well, forget all of that. I mean, my goodness, I was looking at I was looking at those numbers yesterday. Since coming back in the 10 games back, Alvarez is slashing 361, 439, and 750. His OPS is 1189. Mm-hmm. And Jose Altuve's OPS is 973. He's hitting 333. He's got a 409 on base. Nobody needs to worry about those guys at all. Nope. And thank God for that. I mean, yeah. we've said they only And he finally him. moved back to the three hole. Golly, man. Right. I just got. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I know, Blum. We've been talking about this weird lineups and stuff all year long. It's just going to continue. Like you said, you've just kind of got to. Take it, be zen about it. You know, what is it, uh, Moose Fraba or whatever it was from that movie with Adam Sandler? Uh, what was it, Jack Nicholas? Moose Fraba. Nice. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude. Oh, my God. Okay, a couple final things. First of all, I do want to bring up this thing with the Orioles. So they're play-by-play I don't cuss on this podcast as much, but that was bullshit. Yeah, it was 100% bullshit. So Kevin Brown, not the pitcher. Thank God. Yeah, I know. That would have... I don't know who knows what happened. You throw a sinker at the guy. Um, this um, so ke- this play-by-play announcer for the Orioles on TV was suspended by the Orioles, although they are not calling it a suspension. They refuse to refer to it as a suspension. Suspension because he read stats about the team's play against Tampa Bay. <laughs> now, here's the thing: for those of you who aren't aware, um, media departments. Four Major League Baseball teams send out pregame statistic reports. They compile them. They're really impressive. Uh, the guys at uh, mm, with the Astros really help. put together some amazing stuff. Uh, so uh, before every game, usually a few hours before the game, you'll get a, a, a package that says when Dusty's availability is, and then you'll get a list of all these kind of interesting stats and figures for the game. So uh, so they did this, prepped this package for uh, Kevin Brown, and he read off the fact that in the last like 10 years the Orioles were like two and a hundred or something against the Rays and then this year they had won two games so they won as many games this year as they've won in the previous like 10 seasons and he brought that up well apparently the Angelos family which is you know well known in baseball circles um formerly Peter now forget the guy's name who's the owner um now uh Basically, they suspended him, saying that it made them look cheap, right? John Angelos is the owner now. Now, first of all, John Angelos is cheap. So let's just put that (laughs) to the side right now and forget about it. He is a cheap, cheap guy. Uh, He wants to be like the Tampa Bay Rays. They want to be able to win on, you know, with with a small budget. Okay, fine. No problem. So they suspend him. Now, this, by the way, comes after they had already suspended their their, – I think it was last year they fired their in-game announcer guy because he tweeted something they didn't like. They've also forced all of their uh, media people to wear Orioles gear to every game, um, including the radio guys. Like, who cares what the radio guys are wearing? (laughs) But, like, one of them didn't wear it. And so he got suspended. And so Kevin Brown, even though he was suspended from TV, had to go do radio broadcast because some guy didn't wear his Orioles shirt. I mean, what a fiasco, man. I mean, there's – I understand – Teams do some weird things, but this is just nonsense. This is idiocy. It's so petty. Like what? And by the way, dear John Angelos, you think this makes you look better? 
You think this makes you look less cheap? I mean, this makes you look like a moron. Yeah. Guess who's going to leave when they get a better offer? And Kevin Brown will get a better offer somewhere else because he's legit. He's good. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I know you know this, but he's done ESPN basketball. He's done yep. football. The guy is well-educated in every sport out there. He's one of the kinder human beings I've bet I've met <clears throat> in the industry. And, uh, you know, I, he's, I wouldn't consider him a friend, but he's definitely a coworker who I've, I've, <laughs> I've asked questions of to get mm-hmm. more information. He's come over and done the same thing to us. Um, and there's so many things to unfold here. Our job, even on this podcast, we we are just opening our voice and putting our voice into public arenas <coughs> opens us to cancel, being canceled. Yep. This whole culture now is so sensitive to language that we can hardly speak. So we're already under the radar, under the microscope. Mm-hmm. That makes it hard enough as it is. And take it from a guy who's been in the principal's office several times from what I've said on air. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. So you do have to be delicate. You do have to understand. You have to think before you speak. A lot of what we do is reactionary. But at the same time, I'm mentally prepared to go into games and know what to say, hopefully, and not to say, hopefully. But to your point about him getting reprimanded Suspended is what it is. Let's be honest. I mean, yep. there's no other word for it. I mean, That's let's right. not be a jackass about it. Right. Um, he got suspended for for literally. Sp- he he stated facts. Yeah, that's it. Facts, exactly. facts that were on a media sheet. These, these notes that you're talking about are provided by the ball club, and he actually was framing it and spoke beautifully to the fact yeah. that look, in the past it hasn't been pretty at, against the Tampa Bay Rays. Guess what? We're in first place and we're playing really good baseball, and our team is now beating the Rays. We should be excited about this series. Watch our team play the Tampa Bay Rays. It's great. And he gets suspended for that junk. That is pathetic. And that's sensitive. You're not watching the entire story somewhere, somehow behind the scenes. John Angelos felt that he was being attacked or his team was being attacked and he should be embarrassed thoroughly. And I think that's why we haven't seen a comment in, you know, to rebut what's happening Mm -hmm. because there is something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. But for that to be a reason to be suspended should freak every other announcer out. For the rest of their broadcasting career, if that can happen that easily. I mean, how sensitive do you have to be to get butthurt over a fact? I mean, a it's fact. just it's just And your un- team is in first place. Pick a worse time to be an idiot. <laughs> right. And and by the way, this is the same team that fired John Miller once because he talked about announcer of all time because almost. He, yeah, because he talked about former players that they didn't want you to talk. Apparently there are former Orioles players who are off limits for discussion. Like come <laughs> Black-listed. on. Blacklisted. Come like, on. It's just it's just this is the kind of thing. When you see it, this is the kind of thing where whenever people are like, oh, players want a bunch of money. I'm like, you know what? Let's talk about owners <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, so many times we're like, oh, these millionaire players. I'm like, yeah, what about the – I remember uh, Chris Rock had a great line. He was talking about the difference between rich and wealthy. He was like, Shaq is rich. The man who writes his checks is wealthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like – Yeah, and there's I somebody feel, giving him that money. And yeah. I'm like, like when you've got guys like – I mean, thank God we've got a good owner. Um, you know, And really, yes. for the most part, good owners across the board in Houston, I think. But man, because when, when you have a bad one, ooh, man, it's not good. It is not good. So last thing I want to hit you with because I could not – 
let this one go without getting your opinion. Apparently, last night we have we have college realignment fever occurring. Oh, geez. Like, it's insane. The Pac-12 is now the Pac-2, apparently. Only Oregon State and Washington State are left in the Pac-12. Um, but here's one. Last night, Cal was one team, who's uh, one school, who said they might move to – wait for it. Wait for it. The, I know a, the Atlantic Coast Conference. Your beloved Cal, Blummer, could be in the ACC can you imagine the travel schedule for Cal? Uh-uh. <laughs> I don't want to. There's know. no way. You're going to how are you going to recruit you're going to recruit kids and go, "Hey man, we're in the ACC. This is awesome. We're going to play all these great teams." And then you're going to go, "Oh, by the way, we have to take 4 hour, 4 and a half hour, 5 hour flights to go play them." I mean, Screw that. Look, the Big 12 is already stretching it by having both Colorado and how West Virginia. The ACC not saying anything like, "Wait, you want to bring them in?" And I mean, they're a, let's be honest, they're a mediocre football team at best. Right. And you want me to now fly cross country in a three hours of a time zone and go play these guys? Psh. Well, never mind football. Think about all this. Like the to me, that I mean, there's obviously all the smaller sports like lacrosse and whatever else. It's that's all expensive, money. by the way. Yeah. Right. There's there's all these you know volleyball and you know women's sports that are all they're way bigger pain in the butt than football. But think yep. about. Think about basketball for a minute. That's the one that, like, already you've got coaches, you know, from other teams going, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. we've got like 50 games a year. You're telling me that, like, at least half a dozen, maybe more times a year, I'm going to have to fly across the country? You know, or mm-hmm. a team's going to fly across the country? I mean, man, the whole realignment thing in college is just stupid. Honestly, what they need to do is just have college realignment for football only. And then let the oh, rest man. of the sports figure yeah. it out. Because they, you can't ask teams that are playing – like baseball playing a bunch of games, you know, 50, 60 games a year, basketball playing 50, 60 games a year, volleyball, track and field, you know, like any of these – you can ask these people. They, never mind, they're not going to get on a private plane and fly across yeah. the country. I mean, really. Stuck, I, I remember being stuck in an airport with a team from like – I think it was the Maryland basketball team. They're just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. You know, it's just awful. I couldn't help. Yeah, I mean, no. I mean, you're telling me that, yeah, Virginia Tech and Duke and some of these teams are going to – I mean, what – I don't know. Uh, Cal going to Duke is just – in North Carolina and like, I mean – that just seems so unbelievably it's demonstrative, stupid. man. No, I'm with you. I thought, you know, yeah. I mean, how do you recruit and tell? I mean, it's great to be in the ACC, but at the same time, like you're going to tell these guys, you got to fly four twice a week. You're going to have to go fly four or five hours. Or if you actually play like a Cal or a Stanford who are talking about going to the mm-hmm. ACC, what if you go on a road trip? You're going to be gone for a week and a half. Think about the education if you want. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. I know well, most of these teams don't, especially but, Stanford. Well, most teams don't. Stanford certainly yeah. does. I mean, are you going to travel tutors? Are you going to travel like professors? What the hell, man? No, dude. It's, are they but, just going to go like uh, uh, you know the the online you know school and just there, travel for sports? There is some enjoyment though in watching the implosion that is happening within college sports thanks to the NIL and oh, the, the cap realign. the portal and <laughs> and realign. Let's go. I mean, it's 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 a little. It's kind of the chaos alone is kind of fun. Yeah, like it's uh, it feels a little. I feel a little bit like the Joker, but nevertheless, it feels a little. Well, fun did you hear watching. about the the poor kid at UCLA, the quarterback that showed up and he's like, "Where's all my NIL money? Oh, it's not here. I want to leave." 
Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. But come on. It's just ridiculous. All right, kids. Well, that was a good one. We had a lot to discuss today. Obviously, a lot's been happening. We And we haven't even talked about the Orioles. The Orioles, incredible story. And the Astros yeah, got to go in there story. and whoop some butt because they need to get some wins. They're two and a half back of the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Is it two and a half? Did the Rangers win yesterday? Uh, man, I, I wrote this I down yesterday, too. I didn't see it. It's fine. You were at the White House. I was recovering from vacation. <laughs> yeah, I was say there was a little bit of hangover all the way around. I know, man. Let we me had... see. No, I got it right here. Three games. Yeah, the Rangers okay, won yesterday, three. so three games back. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm just trying to get used acclimated to the uh, low altitude. Which, by the way, mm-hmm. high altitude is no joke, bro. Yeah, dude. Um, be careful hiking in that high altitude is no <clears throat> messing around. You better drink all mm-hmm. the water you can get. Um, yep. All right, Blummer. Any uh, you're in Baltimore. Uh, yeah. I think, and then you're back after the. I think this they're they're coming back right after the series, right? And that yeah, yeah. No, after the series, yeah, we got L.A. Angels on the weekend, yes. but uh, Baltimore, great bullpen, good yes. offense, pretty good on defense, starting pitching, beat them early. That's yeah, the key. Beat that's them a, early. Their starting exactly pitching is right. not good. That is exactly right. I'll tell you what. The <clears throat> Angels, after deciding that they weren't going to oh. trade anyone, what are they like? They oh, they're like 0-6 or something. or one Seven. Six. They lost last night. Man, that's just one of the stupidest run franchises. I mean, we're talking about the Orioles being stupid. Man, let's go ahead and acquire a bunch of talent. And then we're just going to go out and lose. Well, let's give up some of our prospects. And they're definitely losing Shohei Otani mm. in the offseason. I mean. Oh, man. Woof, man. Do we want to yeah. botch something? That's a way to botch it. All right, guys. We'll be back later this week with another fresh pod brought to you by Bet Online. Uh, hopefully, we'll be doing better than the Angels at that point. Again, a huge <laughs> thanks to all listeners and viewers uh, everywhere across the world. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, Blummer, but the, you, the uh, Astros fan UK was in Houston. This is about a little over a week ago. Came mm-hmm. all the way to Houston, saw his first Astros series ever. So That's pretty cool. Good on you, Astros fan UK. That's pretty impressive. Um, you guys are great liking, subscribing, commenting. Keep it all up. Very thankful for you guys. Have a great week. And as always, go Astros. <laughs>